Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Welcome to the MicroBMP podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the development of end-to-end bioinformatics pipes. So over time, we've seen the field shift from the way we used to write pipelines to do even the most trivial tasks to very complicated workflow management languages that we use today. And these workflow languages are now sort of accepted as the standard in the field. Joining us in this discussion, we have Robert Petit. Robert received his master's in bioinformatics from Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. And his PhD is from Emory University, also in Atlanta. During his graduate studies, he worked on mostly Staphylococcus aureus, but he was also involved in sequencing of the first whale shark genome and developing a typing scheme for identifying Bacillus anthracis, which is the causative agent of anthrax in metagenomic sequences. A major component of Robert's work was the development of Staphopia, a bioinformatics workflow specifically designed for the analysis of SRSG, and this work ultimately laid the groundwork for Backdoor. Currently, Robert is working with the Wyoming Public Health Laboratory in the US, helping to build their bioinformatics infrastructure to complement their sequencing efforts in response to SARS-CoV-2. So, Bob, good to have you back on the show. Thank you. Last time we were talking about Staphopia and Bactopia, and, and you went through this. We all went through this, but you really crystallized it in your discussion of how you developed those tools that we used to do things very, very differently even just 10 years ago. And we've now shifted to a, a, a completely different way of approaching how we run bioinformatics analysis. And when we're talking bioinformatics analysis, we're not talking complicated Bayesian tree construction algorithms. We're talking sequencing, genotyping, basic QC, basic generation of metrics, basic species-specific typing methods and, and little tools that people run on, run on the sequencing data. And that has changed a lot. We've seen a stepwise change from dirty bash scripts to more complicated workflow manager languages such as WDL, like workflow description language, or CWL, common workflow language, Nextflow, Galaxy, Airflow, SnakeMake, Swift, whatever. There's a whole panel of different tools out there, different languages out there, but they all have this, this fundamental thing. They all try to structure and track your analysis as it goes through different tools and different stages. Why have we made that shift? Why don't we just do dirty bash scripts anymore? So I, I think the most critical things, do, do you remember having the ability to resume your your failed analysis with your bash scripts? Like, I think I had some like, hey, check to see if this file exists. If it exists, skip this process. But also like, I don't know if that, if like, that file just got touched and you know created. So one, yeah, like the ability to resume, but really reproducibility. Like if if I hand you my again, I'm I'm very biased towards Nextflow just because it's that's the one I started using about five years ago. It's kind of like Emacs versus Dim. I'm probably gonna like like create some people that like 
hey, why are you doing that? I was initially taught Emacs, so I use Emacs. If I can get out of Emacs, I cannot get out of them. So it's just like, but why, like, you want to be able to reproduce your analyses and yeah, you can create your own workflow manager, but there's all these other ones that already exist that keep doing this for you. And so I think we're, we're kind of getting into when we first started there, these, these weren't really in place. Like there, there may have been some very, very basic type workflow managers, but not these full fledged, like I can go from Google cloud. I can go from Slurm. I can go from my lap with a parameter change. Like I, I could literally go from, you know, four cores on a laptop to infinite cores in the cloud. And yeah, we could write that, but the workflow managers do that for us way better. And, you know, they handle outputs of the analyses. They handle the inputs, the passing of files between processes. So yeah, it's just kind of like, I think we're in the, the stage where these frameworks exist for us and you, you have to make that choice. Do I use the framework that meets my needs? Does this framework not meet my needs or do I completely recreate a new framework? And I think at least my evolution over the last 10 years of Mattis's first step, is there a framework that exists? If yes, let's try it. I, I, I'm saying this as I developed this, this workflow over the last 10 years and I'm like, you know, go use, I, I use other people's stuff. I don't develop my own, but I have this monolithic workflow. But yeah, it's one of those where if it exists already, then let's try to use it. You know, if it doesn't quite meet your needs, can you work with it to modify it? Can you, and it, the science, the, the program is a whole lot more open now. I feel like with like the stuff like GitHub and GitLab, where like I can easily, if there's an issue, I can easily go make a contribution. Whereas back then it would have been, Hey, let's try to find the author of this tool to send them an email and maybe get a response that says, you know, this, this is a line of code that if you change this, it'll help fix this problem or this bug that I found. And now we can openly contribute. And I think the, the connectivity between the community is way different now than it was 10 years ago. Like you, you can get to these people. Lee, what about you? What was your experience? Do you feel these workflow management languages are sort of a must? And what's your experience at, over time developing pipelines? I'm such a dinosaur here. So I'm <laughs> currently kicking myself here for not getting onto workflow managers sooner. The earliest, I, li I like that that mark of, of what a workflow manager might do that you can tell if a process is done or you can continue. That's one really good one. So that's that's something that I noticed in in the in the Celera assembler, and I was just like, I was looking at their code. I, it's so random, I know, but I mean, like, I was looking at their code, and I was, why do they have these files in there, and they're done? Yeah, it's like step one, dot done. Well, it turned out that like I I was just like learning this on my own. I was like, this is a good way to do things. So I started like using that idea and programming my own custom workflows for every single time. So I feel like I've made that offense. I've made my own pipelines a few different times that are custom. And I'm just like, why Why didn't I just get on the bandwagon for NextFlow or something else early on? But I mean, you can you can see some of, of my stuff with with my SNP pipeline, like I'll I'll check if the file's there or not. If it's not there, then do it. Yeah. And 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 it's and it's this total reworking of of pipeline ideology in, in one custom workflow. And and the same thing goes for for my sneaker net workflow. And I just wanna I want to go back in time and, and redo it all in in Nextflow or or maybe even even now Backtopia. It, yeah, that's my experience. And and that's 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 why we got Robert on here. I think that it's time for 
for us and for everybody to to get up on the pipelining bandwagon? I think for me, my first experience was there's a Python module called Fabric, which allows you to, if you set it up correctly, it'll allow you to run commands remotely on a on a machine and allow you to easily sort of copy files around and things like that. And what I was doing was I wrote, it took me several months, I was a doctoral student, it took me several months to write Python scripts that would take a local folder of reads or whatever and create all the bash scripts all the PBS scripts, all the, all the batch, and then it would copy the data across, copy the batch scripts across, and then execute the batch scripts as jobs on the HPC. This were, and it did have this thing where it would check that, you know, would the file, would the files be the very dirty, you know, does file size greater than zero kind of thing. Oh God, it's so <laughs> fragile. So, so, and, and often it was me running like a stage, like a bunch of genome assemblies and then going back and checking that the files were there and then running the next stage myself, like a lot of manual intervention, even with that kind of automation. And that one of the key things was, yeah, resuming was very difficult, needed hands-on. Another critical issue was I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have that flexibility. I mean, I was running everything on the HPC, but if I wanted to switch, there wasn't no cloud, but if I wanted to switch to cloud, I couldn't. Everything was hardwired to be PBS scripts. If, I, if, it was, if it was a different cluster with a different, all my scripts would be broken. If I wanted to run it locally, like I wanted to just run 10 on my laptop, not possible. And it took months and months and months to develop it. And it was still really, really fragile. And I think the other part is back then, like the software dependencies weren't that complicated. For most things, it was like, oh, I have Blast. Do I have Blast somewhere? The Blast binary, you know, like whatever. You, you needed uh, Velvet somewhere or you needed Nubla somewhere and you needed and you needed maybe a couple of other things you need you need a FireML or something lying around and you were kind of good to go with most stuff you, you weren't doing anything too complicated but now there's a lot that you need to run and I can't imagine having to manage the inputs and outputs the exit codes everything for all of these tools and as Rob says the, the main thing is we didn't no one was really like people were sharing software, like yeah, in this very weird way of emailing tables around and stuff like that. We we make we, we always point back to the Fred crap. Like if you wanted to download those, like yeah, they'd email you, and that's like just how it was. But now, what the advantage of these these workflow languages provide for people is all of the stuff that we've been talking about, all of this kind of low level just nonsense that you have to put up with. You don't have to really think about that much. You can switch the gears really quickly and the other thing we haven't touched on is managing those dependencies because in those workflow managers you can use the, a condo environment so like you can for instance you can tell next like here is the yaml file that has the condo environment in it and it will create it'll just do all the installation of Conda, and it'll just make this separate little bucket where you run all your things and you know the version of all the things and you know that that's not going to break and you don't have to worry about installing it it'll just do it on the system so when you go to a new system you don't have to reconfigure everything you just here's the yaml off you go now that works in 90 five percent of the time but there are a few cases where it sort of falls over or you bundle everything in a singularity container and you just say hey next flow if you want the thing it's in the singularity container it's in this docker container it's in this condo environment and it just goes off and does it that would be impossible with just 
sort of the, the crude, fashy scripts we were doing before. So, and the reuse, reusability stuff. I mean, I think NF Core has done a lot of, they haven't done too much microbial stuff, but they're starting to do more and more. I saw a phylogenetics pipeline they put out, which which looked really, really good. And I, I, I copy and paste other people's next code from bits and pieces. Really primitive stuff you know, like how to get the channels right and whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. That the next little patterns thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think as a field, we've, we kind of started uh, consolidating on like best practices. And like, I go back to when it was, you know, I remember taking a class where we had to annotate, we had to take these five genomes and then create this bioinformatics workflow. And it was like separate groups, like taking the data, doing some stuff handed over to another group doing some stuff. And one of those was we had to create an annotation pipeline and that meant, you know, running all these programs. And then I remember one day coming into lab and uh, a postdoc was like, hey brother, have you seen this? There's this program called Proca that does all this annotation for you. And I was like, wait, what? Like, And so Proca to me is like, kind of like a, a huge milestone where we, we kind of like, hey, here's a really good bacterial annotation workflow. like. Because it wasn't just, you know, a bash grid. It's Perl and very well. It does what it does very well. And like, it has been doing what it does very well for almost 10 years now. And like, if you ask somebody, hey, go, how would I annotate some bacterial genomes? You're probably going to say, just run it through Proca. And so we, we kind of consolidated on steps in the analysis that we, we are like, these these work really well. And I think as the evolution, we've kind of seen those and now we can plug those into these workflows and glue them all together. So like a workflow inception type thing. I think is annotation pipelines like sort of our main backgrounds with how much we've had to wrangle with this. What about you? For me, annotation pipelines is like sort of a real, real drag as well. Yeah, I mean, so we were talking about this pre-show to warm up, but you know, just just our experience at Georgia Tech was part, part of my thesis was creating a genome annotation pipeline. And I did that with, with several others. Andre Kislyuk was the lead author. And, and, and we, made a, we made an annotation pipeline. It's definitely not as well cited or used as Praca, but it, it was actually way more complete and much more difficult to install and much more difficult to run. But like it, it had things in there like, like TMHMM and SignalP and Interproscan and, and all the goodies with Interproscan. And it, and it had three different this is your one. Your, oh, yeah. The one you developed. So your one was more complete, but more, I don't know, complicated. Yeah. So, I mean, just going back to what you're talking about with dependencies, there was like no concept, almost no concept of like making sure that all the dependencies were there. If it wasn't there, would the error message tell you where to get it from or how to download it? Or is there like in Conda, is there like a chain of dependencies, like downloading everything before you start running CG pipeline? No. And, and, and definitely. So Back, back to your main question, like we're, yeah, our, at least my background definitely is in trying to cobble together a, a genome annotation pipeline for sure. Like Proca was, was a real step change for that as well for me because, and that came out of post and just having to annotate lots of genes and then just getting fed up with how complex it is and then just writing his own thing over time, sort of this refinement. I think he said on the first episode when we had him on of how long it took him to write it. It was like years and years of refinement to develop Proca as, as something. And the, one of the most clever things I liked was like out of the box was it had a, a stripped out version of SwissProt that was a little bit tidied up that would work out of the bat. Whereas we, us numpties, are sitting there taking a, each gene sequence and running it against all of NR. It's obviously including every every organism known, every organism sequence. It's like, well, why are we doing that? Are we really expecting camel proteins to show up in our genome data? Like, do we really need to 
you know, do we need to check that? But there was this thing about, about being complete and, you know, things like interprostan and all the fans. And I, I think that was the proctor part, which was, was that refinement of getting down to what are you really trying to do? What do you really want to know? And, and proctor cut out all of the chaff and then left us with something. which is like, this is, this is what you want as a first pass for genome annotation. And I think I agree like that. While that wasn't written in a word for language or any of the stuff that we're talking about here, that sort of was what, that was one of the first that had that concept of like, well, what are you really trying to do? What's the bare minimum you're trying to get to? And how do we just just think about, you know, the tools required to, to drive that forward and get to that? Get to that. I, I don't think you always have to use a workflow. Like, like you don't always have to create this used workflow language to do some, like if, if I want to do some quick and dirty analyses, I may just throw it in a bash script and just run it and see what happens. Now, if I start using it a bunch and like, I, I'm, I'm going to be doing this a lot, then I may, I'll probably toss it into something like Nextflow or SnakeMake or something. It's just like, there's times where it's going to take way more effort than to write a workflow than to do this one-off analysis where I just wanted to manipulate some files and run this program to get a quick result to kind of like, in most case, that's like a, someone pops into my office and says, Hey, we got this. Could you do this for me real quick? And it's like, yeah, let's do this. It doesn't necessarily meet the, the, it would directly fit into a workflow or I, I may not have a existing workflow that already includes this analysis. They're just looking for a quick result. I mean, if, yeah, no, for anything that's self-consumption, sort of dirty, dirty stuff I write in an hour, I don't, I don't, it, it's too heavy handed to have a workflow manager to do that sort of thing. Definitely not advocating that. I think for me also workflow managers. So if it's single use, not not the right local managers aren't appropriate if it's something i think there may be an issue with if it's not something that you're going to use or you're not going to distribute elsewhere it sort of doesn't make sense often i find that i use it when i write it even for small tools but the ones that i use quite common i find that i'm going to use that same snippet again in another work like eventually for another workflow so it sort of has some value there but if you never return to it it sort of doesn't make much sense so how do you feel about workflow managers even on your local machine though is that is that like an idea or is that a thing or do you tend to reserve workflow managers for more HPC scaling up or scaling out tasks? I guess that depends. Definitely if I'm going to be using HPC or cloud, then handling the nuances of queue and jobs and all, I'd rather use the workflow manager to handle that. Like I even have like a, a kind of like a blank slate workflow where I could just quickly manipulate the outputs and the inputs and paste in the command. So it'll I don't have to create the, the batch scripts to submit jobs and all that. I'll just put it in there and submit it. But locally, I don't know. It depends. I, I really took Torsten's talk at ASM, eating your own dog food to heart. So typically, I'm usually running stuff like Vectopia and that could be locally. So it's, yeah, it's a good question. I would always personally, this is just personal philosophy. I would always use Biocondo to install my dependencies. If, if I just want to do like some command like, stuff i'm going to install them through bioconda and run them instead of you know going and building from source and all that i find that i tend i tend to use it more and more now because we tend to use at least in in my area where people i work with we tend to use a lot of virtual machine and workflow managers really help with that like as for the reason we just described at the beginning of like you know installing things and keeping track and making sure that you know when you run it in one environment it's the same because you have to specify all the tools and all the version numbers so for me to port it from one place to another 
rather than a bare metal thing work for manager is much better for that and i do use it for prototyping like i don't i don't want to try to submit these jobs to a cluster but i anticipate that i will then i'll just you know create a small test set on my local machine so that way i could see if it works and then once i get at the point that it's then i change that forever that says launch it on slurm or something yeah likewise i mean it's much much rapid turnaround so you can prototype much faster yeah so i think one one area where the one other area where the workflow managers tend to be a bit heavy is obviously when you're playing around with more experimental stuff because i think the reason we've moved to the workflow managers we are doing the tasks that are fairly that we find now trivial i mean they weren't trivial 10 years ago but they're trivial now so assembling a genome that's that was a big deal once upon a time we were doing hybrid alumina exactly yeah nubler and velvet yeah and you're just trying to stitch it all together like by eye by hand it's i remember like you would, we were doing yeah we would we were using the nubler stuff to help scaffold the the hunter was pretty crazy and now it's just shove whatever i mean even for the for some of the hybrid stuff even with the long weeks now it's just, you just shove it into whatever ryan wick has written yeah. and off it goes <laughs> and you're good surprisingly i mean there's a few cases where it falls over but for the most part it's not it's nowhere near there's nowhere near as complicated as what it used to be yeah so what i think where the value of the workflow managers are is it allows you Hopefully, if you're working in the community and you're pulling down what other people have written and you're sort of remixing it yourself, you should be getting, instead of faffing about with running your own environment and trying to configure servers and doing all of that stuff, you should be just getting the baseline basic analysis out of the way so you can get onto the good stuff, as you said, for the Backtopia, like the motivation for Backtopia. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that applies for workflow languages as well in bioinformatics. I think uh, a lot of the stuff it does behind the scenes really makes bioinformatics approachable for newcomers. I'm going off of there's an existing workflow and this person who has never never done any bioinformatics may may or may not have done a command line could probably get up get that workflow up and running as in like because that workflow will hand install on the dependencies and handle shuffling the inputs and outputs whereas I I wouldn't recommend this uh, a novice to yeah let's just jump straight into a workflow manager and start scripting your your workflow. The target audience for for what I'm talking about, it, it wouldn't necessarily be those people who are planning to become bioinformatics, although it's it's almost probably going to be super hard to work around bioinformatics. Like like you're you're gonna have to learn the basics like going forward just because sequencing is so ubiquitous now so you're gonna have to get comfortable but my my target like in this situation i'm talking someone who's never touched a command line before and just just got handed these sequences it needs to get some sort of result out of them and the workflow languages help them use those without starting from the beginning starting from the Perl or the bash or python or whatever i'm assuming they're not even going to look at the workflow like they're not even going to open it up and see what's happening. I'm assuming they're just going to say, "Hey, there's this workflow. If I type this command, it gets a result." And that okay. allowed, I yeah. So I'm at that point right now. That's where I think workflow managers, because they handle all the stuff behind the scenes, allows somebody with zero experience to jump in and get a result. Now, when something breaks, at that point, it's like now you got to start digging into the weeds and figuring out: Can I figure out what broke, or you know, do I submit an issue or but I think anybody who plans on doing bioinformatics regularly should probably go ahead and pick a workflow language and invest in it and take the time to get over that that initial learning curve that you're definitely getting at, which is not something that you can just pick up overnight just because the random the random nuances that 
you know, it worked on this system, but it didn't work on that system. And you got to change the parameters and change the configurations and all that. Yeah. There is this discussion that I keep coming back to with colleagues every now and again about one of the really big fears for us as a field is that we turn everybody who does bioinformatics into a system administrator. The stuff that we want to do or someone wants to do on their data is sort of bespoke. And so you need super user, you need pseudo, you need to know how to do that, you need to install this, you need this, whatever. But that's a big portion of computing that you would hope people don't have to do. I, I don't think there's been a day in my bioinformatics career where I haven't also acted as a sys administrator for some server that we're processing on. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't, I'm, I'm also, yeah, I've always been, I'm basically, yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, I, I totally agree where. But do you think like the work for languages, there is a way out? I mean, the obvious, the obvious kind of, point is things like galaxy and we always talk about galaxy on the show about how that kind of is a level of abstraction that helps people just stitch their things together and run mm -hmm. their data and they don't have to worry so much about it but i don't know we've had we've had arguments backwards and forwards about the pros and cons of this of this clicky interface and really is it realistic but do you think like with other worker languages even the cli ones they're going to be done in a way that's approachable. I mean, I know looking at the next of DSL 2, that is much more approachable than DSL 1. Again, like there's a bunch of stuff hiding behind the scenes. Like it, it basically takes it from this huge monolithic, like move my hands as if they'll be able to see. But this huge, like huge, more or less bash script, just because, you know, you got all your commands kind of in the shell. I personally use the, the shell, but to compartmentalize them in modules and, you know, pull them out. Going back to your question, though, I think it will definitely be a moving in the right direction, as in we're kind of getting stuff off our home directories and out into the wild, allowing other people. And we can we can build off of other workflows. Like, there's nothing stopping me from taking an existing section of a workflow and plugging it into my current workflow. And so, and that, that I think that's pretty universal across the workflow languages. Like there's, if, if somebody has a really good version of this, I can just pick it up and drop it in mine. What I would love to see is, I feel like some of the more gooey stuff, graphical stuff might not, might, will get people a certain way, but it won't get them all the way. And maybe something that's more CLI, have some control over the configuration a bit, but not, but not such that you have to become a system administrator. That may be the way forward. Will we ever reach that point? I think I agree that we are heading in the right direction. I don't mind maintaining servers, but I also wouldn't mind not maintaining servers. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's fun, but also when stuff breaks, it's like, you got a whole team that's waiting on you to go fix that machine so they can continue their stuff. Ideally, if it's one person who just generates the singularity container, we're just all pulling that one down. That's, that makes life so much more easier than all of us having to separately compile the same code over and over again. And that, that's where I'm a big fan of stuff like Bioconda and the fact that Bioconda gets a recipe and then it's configured for Conda, but then also uh, Docker containers created for on bio containers. And then the Galaxy group creates a singularity image, which is quite nice to just download that singularity image where it's just automatically created and which I think is super convenient and kind of pushes us in the right direction. If you have a tool that's not on Bioconda, reach out to me. I'll help you get it on there. But yeah, start start investing in a, a workflow language. And, you know, they all do different things differently. So it's it's not necessarily, you know, you're, you're making a wrong decision by investing in a specific one over the other. Just go for it and start producing workflows. 
that you can reproduce and essentially portable that you can hand off to other people. What I would hope is the take home for most people is it's not the semantics of the language or the specific work for language that's helping us the most. It's the fact that we're adding more structure to how we design our workflows and just thinking in that way is really, really beneficial. So it doesn't matter what language you pick, just start playing around with it and getting used to thinking of it that way. Totally agree. But that's basically all the time we have for. So this was just yeah, a discussion on the development of bioinformatics pipeline end to end and sort of the trials and tribulations involved in that. And we've been talking today with the developer of Backtopia, the Backtopia software, which we didn't talk touch on too much here, but you can have a look at it on GitHub and there's obviously containers for it. And there's a paper which we'll add a link to the manuscript on in the show notes. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. Follow us on Twitter at MicroBinfi. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.